So everybody, welcome once again as we continue on in our um, study through the Old Testament. So uh, we've been working our way. I'm going to stand up. I don't usually sit down. We've been working our way through the Old Testament together. We, we spent five years working through the New Testament. We started about a year and a half ago now working through the Old Testament. We worked our way through the book of Genesis. We're now into the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus. And uh, things are happening pretty rapidly. It gets pretty exciting, um, I think, the, all these events that you're about to read. Because we're about to engage in these... Um, for lack of a better word, these ten plagues or judgments that God is going to bring on Egypt in order to get the people of Israel released from 400 plus years of captivity uh, and slavery. And, um, you know, we've seen the events that led up to that as we look through the, through the book of Genesis and how, you know, God had, had got, gathered Israel and they had um, gone into Egypt as a, as a nation of 70 people. It's kind of a big family at that time. And now, 400 years later, they're a group of 2 million people. Um, they've been extremely fruitful in that time, but they're, they're in a bad situation now in, in bondage and captivity in Egypt, and it's time for the people to be let go. And so, um, uh, as we've read so far in Exodus, um, Moses has been called into this process. Moses was born, into, uh, was born Jewish, but into an Egyptian uh, family who rescued him and uh, he was raised that way for 40 years. He's been 40 years in exile now um, after sort of killing an Egyptian and then having to run and hide. Um, he's come back uh, under the unction of God as a deliverer of the people of Israel, although he doubts his ability to do such. God has said he'd be with him and given him some um, miraculous signs to demonstrate that he was going to be with him. He's told him to go and speak to Pharaoh. They've had an encounter with Pharaoh that didn't go well at all. Pharaoh has increased the labor on the um, Hebrew slaves who are now mad at Moses and Aaron as well. And um, we, we read last chapter how Moses, you know, went to God and said, you know, what's the deal? Are you going to do this thing or not? And God has reassured him uh, in that last chapter that he would be with him. And he said, go. And um, he said, it's, it's, it's going to take a little work. Um, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you right away. And these signs are going to take place um, that, that are going to follow that we're going to read about. Um, over the next few chapters. Now, remember, I've told you in the book of Exodus, the things I want you to remember are, I want you to remember the Passover um, is a big deal in the book of Exodus. The parting of the Red Sea is a big deal in the book of Exodus. The giving of the law and the tabernacle. That those four things, um, if you don't remember anything else about Exodus, you should, I'm going to keep, you know, giving you that information that when someone talks to you about the book of Exodus, you'll think about Exodus is really about four things. It's, it's about the Passover, it's about the parting of the Red Sea, it's about the law, and it's about the tabernacle. Um, and all those things are important to us as we continue on in our study through the Old Testament. And they also help us understand big chunks of the New Testament. So these first 14 chapters or so really kind of lead us up to the Passover. And um, the, the Passover is the, basically it's the last of these ten judgments that take place on the firstborn um, of Egypt, but it spares the firstborn of Israel, all those who have sacrificed the lamb and taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes, the angel of death passes over them, and it's a sign, and it's the ultimate sign that um, 
will finally change Pharaoh's heart and mind and have him release the people of Israel um, out of their captivity. But it's a picture of um, what Jesus will do for us. And Jesus is the lamb who takes away our sin and his blood covers us. And because of that, in effect, we are passed over and we move from death to life in Christ. So that's the big picture that's happening. But um, as we sort of engage in this chapter, um, you know, some, some background for the reasons that this is the approach that's taken in um, getting the people to be set free. I mean, it, you, when you think about it, it could have been a lot of things that happened, but, but this was the dynamic that was going to take place. This um, God was going to come. These signs were going to take place, 10 of them, in effect, and um, it would take all 10 to finally change Pharaoh's heart and mind. But in the process, um, God is making some points that you need to be aware of because you think, well, why would he do this? Well, he's, first off, he's proving to the Egyptians that he is, in fact, the God that he says he is. He is the God. He is the big capital G God of everything, and, and um, he has the authority and, and can speak into this situation, and he needs to be listened, in time, so listened to. So he's revealing himself to the Egyptians. But he's also revealing himself to the people of Israel in a significant way. Because they're, they're going to need to learn to trust him as they move out into this journey. And we have to deal with the idea that because they've been in Egypt for 400 years, um, a lot of them have begun to worship these false Egyptian gods. At this time, it's believed there were about at least 80 of these false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And one of them included Pharaoh himself. Um, but they had all sorts of, of little g-gods that they worshipped. And um, we'll know in, you know, in a future reading, when we read Ezekiel, the prophet, he's going to say and, and say that when the people of Israel left, um, they actually took their little G-gods with them um, when they left in this exodus, even though God was doing his thing. So it's an issue that God is dealing with. He's demonstrating to not only the Egyptians, but to the people of Israel that he is the God who he said he was. And he's backing it up with these significant, um, impactful uh, signs and judgments on um, Egypt in particular and, um, and getting Pharaoh's attention in the process. And so, um, so we're, we're going to see these things take place. But you need to know that's the reason behind these very significant um, signs that are going to happen. And there's 10 of these plagues that take place. Um, there's also, a, before we get into that, you'll see there's another thing with the snake, um, you know, and the staffs turning into snakes. Um, and that's not one of the 10. But that's going to happen again. We've, if you've been with us, you've been seeing that that happened from the very beginning. God said to Moses, take your staff, throw it on the ground. It became a snake. Pick it up, turn back into a staff. That one of the ways that he got his attention. All right. So let's, um, let's get uh, going in here to Exodus 7, 25 verses. Not a real long chapter. Um, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you read from is fine. But the notes and the ones in your, in your handouts are New International Version. Verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord 
when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that um, they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With this staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink, and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds, and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went to his palace and did not even take this into his, to his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So um, that's how chapter 7 ends. We're going to pick up more things in just a little bit. But let's talk about some of the highlights of chapter 7. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that is it, it, it says that God made Moses seem like God to Pharaoh. In, in other words, um, when Moses went in front of Pharaoh, because remember, Moses was in effect a sort of criminal on the run. Um, and, and yet, in Pharaoh's eyes, God made him seem like, almost like God, very powerful. This was important because Pharaoh considered himself to be a God. And so... Um, God needed to make it so there was some equal footing there. And um, that's sort of what he's doing in the process. And, and yet he, he doesn't give in to Moses, so he doesn't feel inferior to Moses. Pharaoh doesn't. He obviously thinks they're on equal ground. So you have this dynamic sort of happening there in the beginning. It's also interesting, I think, when it talks about the hardening of the heart. People ask about that um, um, because it says, you know, it's God hardens his heart. Does that mean that Pharaoh never had a chance? And um, I'm not sure if I've explained that but this is what happens. Maybe this will help. Because, um, see, people can hear and see the same thing, and for some people it will change them, and for other people it will harden them. So here's, here's an example. Um, most of you, not everybody's going to get this, most of you will get this. Ha, um, remember when Billy Graham 
um, was on TV fairly often, Billy Graham Crusades. Do you, anybody, do you guys remember that? But there would not be unusual for the, on a major channel to be a Billy Graham Crusade on TV, right? And um, if you, and, and really in the heyday of those things, there was only three channels anyway. So you had a, <laughs> so there was Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham would speak at these crusades and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would hear and be impacted by the gospel and their hearts would be changed and they would give their lives to Jesus. At the same time, same people would hear that message and their hearts would be hardened and they would reject the message. Same message, same opportunity, just a difference in the way they took it. To the point where over time, like in my household, we didn't grow up in a, it was a Christian environment. Um, if, if Billy Graham came on, you know, they would actually make the effort to get up because there wasn't a remote and go and change the channel. That reminds me of a joke about how bad we had it as kids that we actually had to walk 10 feet through shag carpet to change a channel. <laughs> and kids of this day don't have any idea <laughs> of what we suffered. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea. They, had to, they used to have TVs. They actually had... I remember the first remote we ever had. It was fascinating. It was it used to click. It actually made a click to change it. Anyway, and it didn't work half the time. Yeah, there we go. Some of you, I'm sure, remember before TV. <laughs> so, I don't. But um, anyway, th see, the idea was, and to me, is that that the same set of circumstances. It's it's our response. Now, God might know, because God knows all things, the response. So he knew Pharaoh was going to respond the way he was going to do it because God exists outside of time. So he knows that. So um, it's not like the opportunity. It's the same sort of thing. Some people will hear and see amazing things from God, and some people will accept it, and some people will reject it. Some people's heart will be open to it, and some will be closed. Same sort of situation going on. So we have that happen in here. God's going to be doing these fascinating things, and Pharaoh's heart continues to stay hard to them. Now, the first little thing that happens here in verses 8 through 13, not little, but um, he, it, it's, it's sort of the sign of the serpent. And the serpent was uh, a special sort of creature in Egyptian religion, um, particularly the cobra. It was a, um, it was a symbol of immortality. And so the, it was not for no reason that these things didn't start with this whole this staff turning into a serpent and then things taking place in the process. And so Aaron's rod became a serpent um, by the power of the Lord. And, um, and then the magicians were able to, it seemed like, duplicate this thing, what's happening. Uh, and, and yet the reality is that then Aaron's serpent ate their serpents. So... He swallowed them all up. So these, these first, the serpent thing, and then the next couple of miracles, signs, judgments, the magicians um, are going to counterfeit these first couple of signs that happen. And that's a pretty interesting dynamic because for Pharaoh, it's going to say, well, my magicians can do that, so who, who's, what's the big deal about your God? Here's the irony of that. Here's what I want you to think about that, and we'll talk about more about that in a minute, but here's the irony is these things that are happening are not good things. And so the magicians of Egypt are just making things worse by continuing the process. In, the, in, in what they should have been able to do is undo what was happening. See, that would be a position of strength. If the magicians could have turned the blood back to water, it's a different thing. If they could have 
you're going to see this thing with gnats and frogs that comes up. If they could have reversed it or made it go away, that would have been significant. But they can't. And, and so they're either using sleight of hand or sorcery or tapping into some sort of demonic thing. But the best they can do is counterfeit it. All right? They can, they're, they're making a counterfeit. And, and that's very important for us to know. So the, the next thing that happens is the water turns to blood. Now, it doesn't mean that the water turned red. The water turned to blood. So um, think about that. The blood has a definite iron odor, right? And, um, it's, it's, and, and think about the quantity now of what's taken place. The Nile turns from water to blood. doesn't just go red. turns to blood. The fish die. And, and uh, y- you know, we have a seven-day process. So the, the stench the must have been horrific in, in what was happening. And, um, and so the, this, that's the first of, of these ten plagues that happen, which are of a, a punishment. A, the, in the word, the Hebrew, it's a blow or a stroke against the Egyptians. And um, this is the first one. It's significant. Now think about it. They depend on this water. It's their drinking supply. They depend on fish. They depend on a lot of things. All of that is um, just done away with in this seven-day um, period. And these, the first three plagues that you're going to see were, were, were sort of distressful plagues. Waters turn to blood. There's a, a plague of frogs <laughs> and then a plague of gnats. And, and uh, have you ever been swarmed by gnats? Have, I mean, have you, have you ever had it happen? It's horrific. You, it's like a, it gets everywhere. I don't know if you've ever had it happen, um, um, but it's, it's not good. Gnats and frogs... You know, I have a thing about frogs. I told you, did I tell you about that time, like not that long ago? Maybe you've heard this story. I'm sorry, but but we were, we were not in the house we were now. The house we were renting, we were sleeping, and um, in the middle of the night, I felt something hit my head, and and then, then I heard my wife scream. So something ahead, my wife screamed, and I jumped up, and she screamed, and then she went frog, <laughs> and. You know them, those frogs that hang out on your windows that can flatten themselves to almost nothing had worked its way in through the little tiniest crack in the window. It had landed on my head <laughs> and then jumped on Alice's head. And she, she recognized it for what it was. And I remember going, Ew, and she's like, get the frog. And I'm like, I don't want to get the frog. <laughs> I don't want to touch. Ew. And I, so I, you know, sorry, I had to go get a bucket or something. I had to, I wasn't just going to grab the, now some of you might be like, no big deal, but ew. So, so depending on your, how you felt about frogs would be the, the depth of these plagues that were happening. Um, so the first three plagues we're going to look at, there's water turns to blood, there's a plague of frogs, there's a plague of gnats. The next group, the next three are very painful and very costly. There's a plague of flies. There's the death of the livestock, and there's boils that break out on the people. The last four are even worse. And the last four are, there's a, there's a plague of hail, a plague of locusts, a plague of darkness, and the death of the firstborn, um, which is the one that finally gets Pharaoh to let everybody go. But um, these, these plagues are, each one is worse and they're, they're horrific, and they're being inflicted on the people because Pharaoh refuses to let the people of Israel go. At the same time, um, 
they're understanding, they're learning, the Egyptians are, about who God really is, and the Israelites are learning about who God really is, too, so that they have an opportunity not to continue to worship false gods. And the latter of these plagues, plagues do not affect the land of Goshen in Israel, uh, in Egypt, where the Israelites are. Pretty fascinating. So a big chunk of them, it's another demonstration of the power of God that the Egyptians are getting hit by it, but not the Israelites, some of them. So the waters in the Nile here begin, they turn to blood. The other waters in the land, it says even the waters stored in the vessels of wood and stone turn to blood. So this was, a, this was like a judgment on the Nile itself, um, which was actually treated like a god. The Nile was treated like a god, and, and um, there was a god of the Nile, um, Hapi, uh, Isis was also the god of the Nile, goddess of the Nile, Isis. You've heard that term um, uh, come up lately. And um, so the Nile River was the nation's major source of life-giving water for people and their crops. So taking that away, devastating judgment here in the beginning. Um, and so the, the people apparently were able to dig wells near the river to get some, uh, some fresh water, but the fish in the river died. Their decay produced a stench along with the smell of blood, and uh, the consequences lasted a week. And then uh, the magicians... Um, took some of the pure well water and they, they, they duplicated the miracle. They counterfeited it. Um, but again, the point is, why didn't they reverse it? Whenever they did these first three, they just made matters worse. And, and it's very possible that they couldn't and they were just using trickery or illusion to make Pharaoh think that they were actually doing something worse. And, and if, if you wonder about that, think about some of the illusions that people do today where they, they make you imagine that they're moving buildings and that they're walking, you know, on, in the air. And, they're, and, and those are illusions. They're tricks. And there's things going on. And so um, uh, they, they had some measure of something, but they certainly didn't have the power to reverse what God was doing through Moses and um, Aaron. And so, uh, as I said, the, the first three things, the staff turned into a serpent, the water turned to blood, and next week the invasion of frogs, um, they'll be duplicated by Pharaoh's uh, court magicians. And uh, I, I think duplicate, I think counterfeited is, is the better word. And um, it's, a, it's a picture that the, see, the enemy um, can do these, these lying wonders. Um, they're talked about in, in the Bible. Uh, in the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually names these Egyptian magicians uh, and uh, he says in 2 Timothy 3.8 um, that Satan will attack God's truth and God's people by imitating or counterfeiting the works of God. And he says, just as Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Well, that, that's a picture of these um, court magicians in Israel. That's what Paul's talking about back in 2 Timothy 3.8. And um, so the enemy, our enemy, is a counterfeiter who um, he counterfeits all sorts of stuff. He, he doesn't have his own stuff, so he counters. He's a counterfeiter. He makes antichrists and false believers and false brothers. There's in the Bible, and uh, uh, you know, counterfeit uh, ministers that, that spread his lies. That you know, they were they were they were there. You know, in the very beginning of the church, and they continue on in the prophet, uh, ultimately leading to a false Christ that uh, we read about will, will attempt to deceive the entire word, uh, world. So um, 
So the enemy opposes God's work by counterfeiting or imitating it and, and um, trying to minimize the power and glory of God. And, and so what happened here with Pharaoh in the beginning was, well, anything God can do, we can do. So I'm not, I'm not impressed by what's happening. But again, the reality is he couldn't reverse it. So he was settling for something far less than he should have settled for. And it won't last long. Like I said, the, the serpents and blood and frogs. And, and then after that, his court magicians are done. They can't counterfeit the rest of the stuff that's going on. They just they don't do it anymore. And it's, its impact is huge. And so we'll, we'll read about those as we go on. And, you know, just so you know about Passover, um, when we celebrate communion, we're in effect taking a part of the Passover celebration. And what, was, what would happen in the Passover celebration, these, these cups that we always have out there when we're doing communion, were, were um, celebrated, and one of those cups is called the cup of plagues. And at that point in the Passover meal, this part of the Exodus story would be recounted to everyone at the table so the children always knew it, that these plagues were part of how they became a people. And, uh, and so, the, you know, it's, it's significant in our story, and it's something that we actually is there even when we're taking communion, although we may not be aware of it. It's part of what we're celebrating as well. So that's kind of the highlights of this first part of uh, Exodus 7, and uh, over these next chapters, you're going to see these plagues happen and Pharaoh's response, and they will build up until he finally lets the people go, uh, and uh, the Exodus begins. But that's good for today. Um, thanks for coming and uh, for keeping it easy tonight, because there's a lot going on. If you're watching by